Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Working to help develop a vision and a constructive voice for tribal buildings and economic development projects is a passion for Major Robinson. He's a designer and business owner based in Montana who helps shepherd projects for tribes and state institutions to make sure everyone knows what to expect during the complex design process. He's had a diverse career that includes a theme park ride design and he's a retail business owner too. We'll hear about Major's passions and inspirations coming up after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The Alaska Superior Court has dismissed a suit challenging Tanana Chiefs Conference tribal sovereign immunity, a status which protects it from being sued. A November 21st order issued by Judge Patricia Haynes threw out a case filed by Dot Lake Village, which alleged TCC bylaw violations like illegal board meetings and votes, and sought court intervention to prevent them from happening again. Dot Lake argued that the sovereign immunity of TCC tribes does not extend to the Interior Alaska Native Service Organization. But the court found that TCC is an arm of its member tribes and therefore cannot be sued by them, adding that the court, quote, lacks jurisdiction to insert itself in a dispute that ultimately boils down to a self-governance disagreement with an intertribal consortium, unquote. In an emailed response to a request for comment, Dot Lake Village President Tracy Charles Smith said, TCC is not a tribe but is asserting tribal rights without getting the consent of its member tribes. In so doing, TCC is claiming that it may violate its governing rules without consequence. TCC did not respond to an interview request by KUAC, but in a press release announcing the case dismissal, TCC Chief and Chairman Brian Ridley says they're ready to move past these issues and have worked hard over the past year to heal the organization and continue to move forward with strength, unity, and respect. A new study shows that a wide variety of Arctic animals, including polar bears, are being exposed to a tick-borne disease normally associated with rabbits and hares. The Alaska Beacon, an online journal, reported the findings. The U.S. Geological Survey conducted the study to look for signs of exposure to the bacterium that causes tularemia, also known as rabbit fever. The research is designed to help scientists track diseases as the Arctic warms and they spread north. Alaska Native people could be the first to feel its impacts if tularemia spreads to the animals they hunt. Arctic foxes and Arctic ground squirrels showed the highest levels of antibodies in the blood to fight it. Caribou showed the lowest levels. Polar bears were in the middle. Geese examined in the project also showed exposure. Antibodies to the bacterium do not necessarily mean the animals had tularemia, only that they were exposed to it. It's rare for the disease to spread to humans, although some cases have been documented in Alaska. According to the CDC, some of the symptoms are skin ulcers, sore throats, and in the most serious cases, pneumonia-like coughs, chest pain, and breathing difficulties. A Native American writer and actor for the Peacock series, Rutherford Falls, says while it's disappointing the show was not picked up for a third season, indigenous representation in popular media is still strong. Here's Janice Meeting. There tend to be elimination of newer shows, shows that don't have as many viewers, 
And um, I think Rutherford Falls is possibly a victim of some larger shifts that are happening in the industry and that we're seeing with other shows as well. Schmeeding adds many writers and performers with Rutherford Falls are already involved with other productions. She's continuing work with another native theme series, Reservation Dogs, which has been renewed for a third season. President Biden will host the White House Tribal Nations Summit Wednesday and Thursday at the Department of the Interior in Washington, D.C. The summit provides an opportunity for tribal leaders from the 574 federally recognized tribes to engage with the federal government. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribal relations. The Indian Arts and Crafts Board promotes Indian artists of federally recognized tribes through its online source directory. Information on this no-charge opportunity available at doi.gov IACB, who support this program. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce coming to you live today from Anchorage, Alaska. Major Robinson doesn't remember a time when he didn't enjoy drawing. That love grew into a design career that took him to Disney and Universal Studios, among other places. Now, Robinson works with tribes to help incorporate cultural elements into their buildings. He also acts as a liaison between tribes and developers, mainly in Montana, to make sure tribes' ideas and concerns are represented in building projects. Recently, he worked on Montana State University's new American Indian Center. He's also worked with the Montana Governor's Office and the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. And if you've ever been to Helena, he owns the Sage and Oats Trading Post with his wife, where they sell native artwork and other items. We'll hear from Major today about his work and inspirations. If you'd like to join our conversation, just call 1-800-996-2848. And joining us now from Helena, Montana is Major Robinson. He's an architectural designer, tribal project consultant, and a business owner. He is Northern Cheyenne. Major, welcome to Native America Calling. It's so great to have you on the show today. Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. You bet, Major. And uh, we first met about five years ago when you were with the Helena branch of the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. And I know you've been engaged in Native American economic policy for years, but I think most people are familiar with your architectural design work. What got you started on that career path initially? It, you know, it, it did start on my reservation when I was growing up there. Um, I have nine brothers and sisters, 
And um, I always like to draw. And, and I tell people this, the, the reason I like to draw, not just to kind of create things on paper or, you know, on your hand or on someone's jacket or anywhere I could find something to draw on, but I, I, I used it as, as a way to kind of express myself. Um, it, my house was pretty active with uh, nine siblings running around and cousins and, you know, aunties and uncles. And so I would escape to the roof and sit there with my sketchbook and just draw and ignore everybody else. <laughs> so it gave me a <laughs> chance to just escape into another world. And, and, uh, and now uh, I get a chance to use it for, for my livelihood. Now, Major, as a child, I'm envisioning you there on a rooftop with all your siblings downstairs below in the house, and you're drawing away. And what were you drawing in those early years? Were you, were you doing art designs? Were you already drawing buildings and, and shapes and, and machinery and things like that at, at a young age? Yeah, you know, that's that's interesting. No, it was really more people, people, animals, nature, uh, just things that I saw that I wanted to interpret. Um, yeah, I used to live in Lame Deer, Montana. Uh, that's where we grew up and then later moved um, over to another town called Ashland that's on the reservation. And, and, and I just drew everything, it, whatever came into mind. People would want me to sketch them, and so I'd sketch them as well. Later on, when I went to college, I started doing set design in theater. And that's when I really started you know, designing from a spatial perspective and trying to place people in that in that environment and uh and then and then i eventually graduated with a degree in architecture now is this down in albuquerque at university of new mexico major yeah i graduated in in at university of new mexico in in, uh, in, in albuquerque uh back in the 1900s that's what i tell my kids and they're like oh my god <laughs> man, that's, that's so old yeah back in the 1900s i graduated in 1986 and uh, and then from there, I always knew I wanted to go out to Los Angeles to um, to do design out there, and so I started working for an architectural firm in in, um, in Hollywood. And what were some of those early projects that you you worked on when you got to Hollywood? You know, it was pretty amazing because it it was a small architectural firm that I worked for, but they had some really um, substantial projects. They were doing some of the um, residential homes on Malibu Beach. Um, it was really kind of wild to be working on these buildings um, and going out to the site in Malibu to take a look at these homes that were just incredible. But it gave us a chance as as artists, you know, to do something unusual. And uh, and once again, which with each of these projects that I'd worked on, I'd pinch myself and say, how did an Indian kid from Lame Deer, Montana end up in Malibu doing houses, you know? <laughs> but you just kind of follow the path that's presented by creator, you know, and you just keep moving forward. Well, I'm thinking of Malibu, California, and, you know, some of the most expensive real estate in the country, especially homes are there, and, and here you are working, and like you said, a, a kid from, from Northern Cheyenne, and was there some culture shock there in those early years on the West Coast for you? Yeah, yeah, there really was. Um, you know, you kind of find your equilibrium, you know, just us as indigenous people as we move around the country. I know when I was down 
I was down in um, Albuquerque, it just felt like home. Even though I, I hadn't grown up there, it just felt so much like home because there's so many indigenous people there. Um, in California, I found the same sort of thing. I started uh, hanging out with friends, um, a good friend of mine, Richard Gutierrez, um, who's uh, Hispanic. Uh, he and I just got along great. And he, uh, he was actually the first person I met that did theme park design. I had no idea what theme park design was or who did that. But while I was working for an architectural firm there in uh, California, um, I got a nighttime gig to do drawings and sketches for this theme park company called Landmark Entertainment. And um, so I just started doing drawings for them. And I really enjoyed it because it was all about fantasy and creating this fantasy world. So it was much like um, set design. And um, they hired me to, to work on a project in Japan. So I ended up moving to Japan for what ended up to be two years to work on a theme park there. Now, when you do these theme park designs, what all goes into that? I mean, are you designing attractions and rides and just kind of public areas where people walk around? I mean, it just seems like such an, the theme parks are, are there's so much going on in a theme park. And um, do you, do you work on all those aspects are just specific areas. You know, in, in my career, I've done it for um, over 25 years, almost 30 years I've, I've worked on theme parks. And you get a chance to work on everything, Sean. You know, um, you know, whether it's just doing some of the graphics on some of the signage to actually designing some of the rides and, and, and helping to, to uh, build those rides. Um, so it takes a, a ton of uh, creative people from writers to producers to um, engineers to artisans that that can draw these attractions. Um, so it was really a, a great um, learning ground for me to learn to interpret different IPs, intellectual properties into these into these parks. So I worked on um, one of the projects I worked on all the way through was the Cat in the Hat ride that's down in Orlando. And so it was one of the, ironically, it was one of the first books that I read that I looked at the drawings that Dr. Seuss did. And I said, that's a drawing that I could probably do. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just got this sort of organic look to it. And so here I was years later, bringing the Cat in the Hat book to life. Um, and I got on that, I got to be the production designer, which was basically the art director. So I had designers working under me to help create the models to help create the characters, uh, to do the color boards and the music and, uh, and all of it, everything that went into making that particular ride. Major, this just sounds so cool. And it, it seems like a job that would provide so many perks. Like, are you able to, to take your kids over there and like test out the rides when nobody's around and do trial runs and things like that? Just kind of have the park to yourself at times. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes that was the case where we would we would have um, have have our family come and see parts of what we're doing, but uh, for the most part, it, this was the real interesting thing about it was um, working for Universal Studios, and I worked for uh, Disneyland at the park there in California for a while. Um, depending on the attraction, we couldn't talk about it even to our families. Sometimes they're to so top secret, it's like you're working for the CIA or something, you know? Mm -hmm. So we'd have to keep it uh, separate from them as well. But, but other times, we were able to share the, the work that we're doing 
at different phases as it's um, as it's uh, promoted out in the uh, public, you know. I would imagine, yeah, the trade secret like that, big uh, multinational corporations like what you're describing, billions of dollars at stake. And so, Major, did you come across any other Native people working on, on some of those amusement parks and, and some of these really exciting projects that you're describing? Yeah, you know, that that was interesting, too. There, there weren't a lot of uh, Native people in the industry, but there's more and more that are coming into it. And I did, I did meet uh, a few that had grown up in the industry and uh, had um, positions that uh, they could influence other native designers to come in and be a part of it. And so when I was working out in Orlando on the Islands of Adventure project where the Cat and the Hat ride is, I did uh, start to meet other natives um, from the East Coast that, that did this for a living as well. Um, and, and that was that was encouraging. You know, I, I always wanted to uh, encourage other uh, Native Americans to be a part of the, the industry because it's it's very interesting. And so uh, when I was working for Universal Studios there, we actually brought some of the students um, from St. Labrea Indian School up or, or down to Orlando to uh, come and take a behind the scenes look and, and show them what's possible. Um, so I'm always interested in, in encouraging other Native American artists to, to get into the industry if that's what they're interested in doing. St. Libre Indian School, located there in Ashland, Montana. And we're speaking today with Major Robinson. Uh, among many talents, he is an architectural designer, and he's given us a a recap of, of some of the exciting projects that he has worked on over the years with Disney and Universal Studios. And if you have a question for Major, you want to give him a shout out, please give us a call. 1-800-996-2848. More with Major right after this break. Four major dams on the Klamath River are set to be taken down as early as next summer. It's something tribes in the area have fought for decades and it's the first part of an ambitious salmon restoration project that aims to return salmon to the area for the first time in almost a century. We'll find out more on the next Native America Calling. Local tribal museums are the experts of indigenous histories, cultures, and values with the tools to educate the public. On the first National Tribal Museums Day, on December 3rd, participating museums will offer no-cost admission, special exhibits, and live cultural demonstrations. Learn more at indian-affairs.org slash tribalmuseumsday. The Association on American Indian Affairs supports this program. Thank you for tuning in to Native America Calling today. I'm Sean Spruce. We're speaking with Major Robinson. He's an architectural designer, a tribal project liaison, and a business owner. And we're talking with him about his life and his ability to keep so many irons in the fire. If you'd like to speak with Major, ask him a question about what goes into being an architectural designer or more information on some of these exciting projects he's worked on, like the Cat in the Hat ride in Orlando, Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848, and we'll be sure to get your comments or questions on the air with Major. 
And Major, you gave us that really, really inspiring recap there of um, some of those projects that you worked on in your early years there on the West Coast and also projects in Japan, projects in Orlando, uh, Florida. But let's uh, click ahead now and this, this American Indian Center at Montana State University, this new project that you've been working on in recent years. What was your role in that? I was hired on <clears throat> to work on the American Indian Hall as the tribal or, or yeah tribal design liaison um, and and what that meant was it was kind of a title that, that we created with the design team because they were looking for someone that could uh, reach out into our tribal communities here in Montana work with uh, tribal historians tribal leaders to bring their ideas and help embody those ideas uh, into the the design of the building itself so um, I was very fortunate because uh, early on in the design process, I traveled to each of the seven reservations plus the Little Shell tribe and met with them, showed them the design, got their feedback, and then brought it back to our design team. Um, I was fortunate because I was able to do a little bit of drawing myself and not just interpreting uh, to bring some of those cultural ideas into the, into the building. Well, tell us more. How are Montana tribes, how are they reflected in the actual design? Yeah, it was really uh, a wonderful uh, process. I was so honored to work on it, Sean, because, um, you know, tribal people entrusted us to, to bring their ideas to life. Um, part of it was the whole theme of the building is really related around home away from home. You know, those of us that, that are fortunate to go to college from our reservation, it's a strange place. And, and you go there and you feel out of place. And that's how I felt when I first started college. And um, they have an Indian center. They have had an Indian center at, at uh, Montana State University. But this, this was the first time that there was going to be an actual building that was designed specifically for Native students. And so the project ended up being about $20 million and um, different aspects of it that, that were brought from the reservations. Uh, I remember very clearly there was some conversations up at Fort Peck in particular where some of the elders said, you know, we don't want anything fancy. We want something meaningful. And so mm -hmm. we brought that back to the design team that this needed to represent home it needed to represent uh, a meaningfulness to tribal people. So as you go through the building, everything it has a tribal sense to it. From the moment that you arrive at the Sunrise Plaza right in front of the building and you look at the building itself, it has an eagle feather canopy that greets you as you walk underneath that, that eagle feather because that's important to us as tribal people. As you come in, on the floor, in the floor is embedded the, um, the Three Forks River, which is part of our indigenous homeland here in Montana, and water is important. So it, we needed to greet visitors with water as soon as they walk into the building. There's an east entrance that face, faces east for a reason, because a lot of our lodges face east to greet the sun every single morning. Um, and then you walk further into the building, and there's a special room called the uh, drum room. 
and it's where the bobcat singers keep their drum, the sacred drum there in the middle. And on the floor, you'll find that uh, there's eight different quadrants in the concrete floor that are filled with stones. Those stones were brought from rivers and from the land from each of the reservations and placed there so that, so that the native students could have a piece of their homeland right in their, in their um, student center there. So those are some of the elements that we worked into, into the design. Major, it sounds like an absolutely stunning, breathtaking building. You mentioned a $20 million project, and and you were talking earlier about uh, American Indian centers at schools, colleges, and universities. And I remember back in the day at the University of New Mexico, we just had a, a small little building there on campus with some offices, and it was a very beautiful, homely environment, but it was nothing like what you're describing now. And is this becoming a trend now more and more? at uh, universities with, with large native populations to have these really um, beautiful and very culturally relevant, dedicated spaces to Native American centers and student centers there on campuses, do you think? Yeah, yeah, I, I think there is a movement towards that, acknowledging our indigenous student population. You know, that that was important. And, and I will say, just as, as uh, further understanding of this project is that I used to be on the board of regents here for, for Montana. And, um, and I was at that time, the only native American on the board of regents to oversee the whole university system. And, and then that's when I talked to president Crisado, who's the president there at MSU to really reinitiate this fundraising for the American Indian center. Um, American Indian Hall. And, and when we started it, we had to research other universities that did similar work. And yes, Sean, there's, there's uh, a number of universities that have done some great centers like this um, throughout the country. And, and hopefully there's more because what's happening in this particular American Indian Hall is there's a cross-cultural exchange. It allows Native students to feel at home in a strange kind of place and it also allows them to invite, invite non-Native students to come and learn more about us and who we are and, and share that with one another. So hopefully it is mm -hmm. becoming more popular. And are you seeing more young Native people going towards careers in architectural design and other types of planning careers? Yes, in, in, in different amounts. Um, you know, I've heard of a number of students, Native students, who who um, found some inspiration in this building and said, you know, that there were Native people that worked on it. Because it wasn't just myself. It was also the Native American uh, Studies staff as well. Um, in particular, Walter Fleming, uh, who heads up the department there, he was there and participating in the project um, and a number of other Native uh, professors there on campus. And so I think when they see examples, when, when Native students see examples of us uh, adult Natives doing this type of work, they can find a path to it a lot easier than when we went to college. You know, it's like there, there weren't that many. I know that there were probably only about, there were probably only about 50 <laughs> Native students when I started college. Uh, and I originally started at MSU. And now there's... Uh, close to 800 
um, that go to college there. And so it's, it's wonderful to see the interest in the different careers um, of design and construction and engineering and architecture and theater design, um, all that sort of stuff. Major, you were sharing earlier as a child drawing on the roof and, you know, pencils and paper and things like that. And, and, and I know more and more when it comes to architecture, it's all computer-aided drafting software that does most of that heavy lifting. But do you still take uh, paper to pencil with some of these projects you work on ever? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do, Sean. I'm, I'm what we call a dinosaur um, because <laughs> I like... <laughs> I like to use paper and pencil, and then we have trace paper. Um, I'll tell you just a quick story is that I, I occasionally I get uh, invited to be a part of a project with Universal Studios again. So a few years ago, I got to work on the new Nintendo Park. Uh, they built one in Japan, and the next one is being built in Hollywood right now. So I was the art director on, on this Nintendo Park based on the games. And a lot of the young designers are so talented in 3D design, computer-aided design, they could just design circles around me on that. But what I was finding is that people were working in isolation. And so my design team, I required them to print up their stuff, bring it to a meeting room, and we would sit there and we would put trace across it and we would draw all over each other's drawings, exchanging ideas. And to me, that's the joy of doing projects like that. You get to interact with some creative minds. And so I got to work with some very creative designers on the N- Nintendo Park and uh, Super Nintendo Land. And, but it always, you know, to me, it always uh, comes back to just being able to talk to one another and be able to lay paper down and just draw. That's, that's what we love to do. So just do it. Right, right. And Major Designosaur, Designosaur, that sounds like it could be a, a Nintendo game character or something like that, too. I don't know. Interesting. <laughs> Major, we've got a, a caller on the line, Mike, listening in Albuquerque on KUNM. Mike, you're on the air. Well, thank you. Hey, Major, what's going on? Hey, Mike, how are you? I'm, I'm doing just fantastic. I just uh, listening to the show, and I I just felt I needed to call in. And, and when you were talking about cross culture uh, and reaching out, that that you I don't think there's a better example of someone that can do that. Um, you you did it with me when my family moved up to the, the reservation back in second grade, and and I mean we've always considered each other brothers probably from day one, uh, and and you've. You've always taken the time to to explain and to show what's going on to the the non-natives, uh, what what's going on in in the, the Northern Cheyenne culture, and 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 I just think it, it, I'm a proud proud person to to known you for this long and call you my brother. Well, Mike, thanks for calling and stay, yeah, please feel free to respond, Major. Yeah, well, thank you, Mike. Yeah, Mike and I have known each other for a long time, ever since second grade. And uh, Mike is from one of those wild Irish tribes. You know, they're, they're much <laughs> like us Northern Cheyennes, but uh, they have their own customs and traditions. And uh, so Mike and I have been friends for a, a long, long time. And I do consider him a, a brother of mine. And, uh, and, and nice to hear your voice. I hope you're doing well there. Yeah, my, my they have their clans. 
Mike, uh, and Irish folks, they have their clans as well, as I understand it. And so, Mike, uh, it sounds like you, you've known Major going back all the way to second grade. And, and now here, Major, is um, just all of these really exciting projects, this distinguished career. And um, did any of it surprise you or did you pretty much have an idea that, that Major was, was headed towards big things even then as a child? He was always, always artistic as a child, but... But you know the way that his career and my career, we just we went separate ways, and we always seemed to get drawn back together again for one reason or another. But but he he took it beyond where where I would have ever imagined anybody would, let alone a, a second grade buddy from the mission in Montana. Um, and I've always looked up to him. He's inspired me. Some of the things he's done has led me to go down different paths in, in my career. Uh, to take chances in, in things that, you know, I could, I knew I could do. I just didn't know if I, I would ever be able to. And, and it, he's just a, an amazing example of, of what, what you can do if you just enjoy it and do it. Mike, thanks for calling in again. Appreciate all those warm words for Major. And so, Major, this is just uh, it's such a fun show today and learning more about your background and, and this friend of yours, Mike, calling in, uh, going back so many years. And there's just so much to talk about with your career, with the design work, um, some of these new buildings that you've been working on as well. And I also want to ask you about um, the tribal development and enterprise development work that you do and, and your expertise. And when did you get into that space? Yeah, that's that's a good point. You know, I, I got into it when I moved back uh, to my reservation in 1999. Um, I didn't have um, I didn't have have a job. <laughs> you know, when I moved back, I had been doing theme park design, and there weren't a, uh, there wasn't a lot of uh, call for theme park designers on my reservation anyway. I don't know about yours, but um, <laughs> not too many. But we we had to create our own. So I was very fortunate. I, I had uh, um, inherited um, a family home that uh, my brother and I had inherited. And uh, and so he and I worked out a deal where I moved into the home. We, uh, My wife, Michelle, and I, we started a bed and breakfast there just to get us going and to help us with the remodeling cost of it. Um, so that was the first uh, kind of business that I started there. Um, and and I started working for my tribe on their projects. Um, so there was some work that could be had eventually. After I finished, um, I guess, the first project that I did on tribal land, um, the Youth Services Center there in Busby, um, there was an opportunity to work for the governor here in Montana in his Office of Indian Affairs. So I interviewed for a job there, and he hired me to be in his office of business development. And so he uh, allowed me to go and meet with all of the tribes in Montana to help them develop their businesses. So that's where it really kind of took off. I got a chance to find out what, you know, what's, what's of interest in, for each of those tribes. Um, it wasn't trying to promote certain businesses. They knew what they could do and what their talents were. But what I did was help them to make contacts with investors or companies that were willing to work with tribal organizations to develop their businesses. At the same time, I've always been a, a, a real advocate for individual Indian business ownership. 
And so besides having my own design business, I encouraged other um, other folks to go into business as well. We we actually there was a, a few of us that came together. Um, uh, Maria Valandra, Sue Woodrow, Philip Balangi, um, Susan Weber up at Blackfeet. We came together and we put together an organization called the Montana Indian Business Alliance. And so the Montana Indian Business Alliance was a consortium of all of these Indian entrepreneurs because to me, that's what's really important. How can we encourage more tribal members to start their own businesses on or off the reservation? And so that's how I kind of got into that arena. The Montana Indian Business Alliance, which is uh, really a... Uh... Uh, a pioneering organization, and I think uh, other parts of the country, they're, they're replicating similar types of uh, entities that uh, work with uh, Native American business owners who collaborate and, and foster more Native business. And uh, we're going to have to take a short break, but when we get back with Major, we're going to talk more about his economic development work, and specifically uh, the time he spent with the Minneapolis Federal Reserve. So if you have a question for Major, give us a call. Um, we'll be right back. This Native American Heritage Month, remember one in three Native American adults have high blood pressure. Check it at your nearest community health center. If the numbers are above 120 over 80, talk to a health care professional. Native community well-being is very important. You can take action by visiting heart.org slash HBP control. This support provided in partnership with HHS slash OMH and HRSA under cooperative agreements CPIMP 2112-27 and CPIMP 2112-28. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking with Montana architectural designer, business owner, and Northern Cheyenne tribal member, Major Robinson. And there's still time to join our conversation. Just enter 1-800-996-2848 on your touchscreen keypad. That's 1-800-996-2848. Major, uh, another phase of your career has been your time spent with the Minneapolis Federal Reserve there in Helena, the Helena branch. Tell us more about how you got that position. You know, looking back, it all, all makes sense. Um, when you're in the middle of it, maybe not so much. Um, but Sean, for me, and much like yourself, uh, you know, how you've worked in Indian communities to, to help create financial literacy and to help create those opportunities. Um, for me, I, I was working again for Universal Studios in Orlando, Florida, and um, on the Nintendo project. And, and there was this opportunity that came up with the Federal Reserve Bank because they had started a, a branch um, out of Minneapolis um, that an organization that uh, was working on Indian uh, country economic development. And so the Center for Indian Country uh, Economic Development. And so when I heard about that, they advertised for this branch position here in Montana. So part of the job would be the branch manager here at the Federal Reserve, but the other part of it would be working with the Indian Center of Economic Development. And so I thought this is this is perfect because it's it's getting back to those communities, uh, tribal communities, and helping them uh, develop their own 
businesses and their own economies. Um, so the Federal Reserve had started this organization in order to provide really important data. As you know, data is hard to find in Indian country in order to help create some opportunities for funding in, in order to bring those issues to light. Um, so I took that position knowing that it would bring me back to Montana and it would also bring me back to tribal communities and especially working with them on, on their um, community economic development. The Minneapolis Federal Reserve, um, and, and that's just such a, a high-profile uh, facility there. I remember spending some time there and, and touring the building, and there's a, a huge vault and just so much going on in, in terms of, of of finance and, and just some of the protocols with regard to taking care of um, those assets. And were you responsible for some of those other areas of, of the building as well, Major? Yes, that was the the dual responsibility of the job was I was the branch manager and had staff there um, at the Federal Reserve here in Helena. Um, and at the same time, I got a chance to work with uh, tribal leaders around the country because it's such a high profile position. Um, so I'd be flying out to um, Minneapolis to work with a lot of the leaders there um, and then around the country to present some of the work that the Federal Reserve is doing. And they still have that organization, and uh, they they have uh, another individual, another tribal member, Casey Lozar, who now has that position that I used to have there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm familiar with with Casey as well, and Major, uh, and you also worked with the Montana Governor's Office um, with a project that would link investors with with tribal businesses, and and tell us how that worked. Yeah, that that was. Uh, such joy to work in that arena because there are investors out there that would contact the governor and the governor's office and his business development office and say, what are some of the opportunities to, say, develop a call center or to help uh, um, uh, tribes develop some of their resources, um, things like that. And so we would be kind of the matchmaker for that. I got a chance to to uh, meet with some of the investors and introduce them to the tribal leaders, those that, that were ready to go into business with, with them. And so um, as, you're, as you're aware of, and I don't know if, if uh, the audience is, but you know, tribal uh, governments can set up their own tribal enterprises, separate tribal enterprises. And many tribes, successful tribes have done that. And so this economic arm of the tribe is really the entity uh, that, leverages the resources and the talents and the manpower that each of the tribes have. And we were helping them to marry up with the investors and the companies that want to invest in, in uh, tribal communities. So it was very, very rewarding to be able to do work like that. Now, you mentioned uh, call centers. What are some other interesting projects that have developed from that that partnership? There, there were... Um, let me see. Some of the other projects were some of the the tribal casino. Uh, the casino tribes were interested in investing in uh, some of the um, the buffalo livestock because uh, some of the tribes uh, in Montana were actually harvesting and able to provide that product to the public. But they needed investors to help them with that. So we made uh, you know partnerships like that and made introductions for them to 
to pursue. Um, so it was it was really interesting to be able to to go out and meet some of these um, investors that really wanted to make a difference. The other avenue too that was uh, of interest was there's a lot of uh, native nonprofits you know that are doing great work. And um, mm -hmm. so what we put together was um, a meeting, uh, a number of meetings between the foundations that are out there that want to um, work with authentic native-led nonprofits. And we were able to create some partnerships there too that are continuing to evolve. Um, there's one in particular in Northern Cheyenne, the People's Partners for Community Development. They've, they've done great in building their own relationships after we made those initial introductions. And so it's great to see how each of those nonprofits are helping their tribal communities as well. People's Partner for Community Development, sure, I know it well, and um, they just do all kinds of interesting projects there uh, within the Northern Cheyenne community. And so, Major, earlier you mentioned, uh, you know, your own entrepreneurial aspirations, and, and you started a, a bed and breakfast there in Lame Deer many years ago, and, and now you currently, uh, with your wife, you have this Sage and Oats uh, Arts and, and Gift Store there in Helena. Tell us more about that business, and how did that come about? Sure. that um, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, we've had it now for going on six years. And Sage and Oats Trading Post here in Helena is, um, we call it an intercultural shopping experience. When we started with the idea, you know, gosh, it was 15 years ago, Sean, when, when we started talking about this idea, uh, uh, my wife and I, and uh, what, we were, what we wanted to do was celebrate the diversity of Montana. You know, there's 14 sovereign nations in Montana. And, and there's all of these other nationalities that came to Montana over the years to, to work, you know, Irish and Scottish and Scandinavian and Chinese. And, and so what we wanted to do was celebrate all of those cultures by finding artisans um, that did that type of work. So it's a gift shop that uh, has every uh, cultural entity here in Montana. So when you come in, you get to experience all these different cultures. Um, whether it be, you know, um, candles that we have or books that we have or beaded artwork that we have or sculptures. Um, we have certain medicines that um, were developed that we have as well, salves and stuff like that that are made by Native people. Um, so it really is something that um, celebrates all of our diversity here. Now, did your designer and development sensibilities come into play with, with Sage and Oats? Well, of course they did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I couldn't, I couldn't help it. Really, you know, my, my wife uh, is good at retail. She used to work for Universal Studios as well, and that's where we met. And she is very good at retail, so she helped to um, develop the, the retail side of it and the operation side of it. For me... As a designer, I, I put together what uh, our original building looked like on the outside because we remodeled the outside and the inside. And now we have a new space where we redid the inside as well to really reflect, um, I guess, um, the design skills that, that I bring to the table. Um, it, is, it is about 
really celebrating those cultures and how we pair things together, you know. Um, so even the look of the inside, we wanted to have it reflective of, of culture. If you, if you look at our logo, and I'd like to talk a little bit about it, the logo is a good friend of ours, Barbara Braided Hair. And I don't know if you knew Barbara Braided Hair. She passed away a few years ago, but before she passed away, um, we asked if we could use her face uh, as our logo. And, and she cried, and then she said yes. And she says, as long as you do one thing, just make me look thinner, she said. <laughs> and so, so we actually worked with some artisans. I designed the logo, and, and they helped me to, to produce it. Um, and uh, you'll see, see that displayed inside the shop as well. And, um, and so she kind of watches over our shop. Um, she, she was a big part of the Northern Shine community as the branch manager for the uh, First Interstate Bank. Mm. Yeah, wonderful story. And well, tell us more about your your family major. You mentioned you you met your wife down in Orlando, and she's a a retail guru. And what what about your kids? Are are they involved with the gift shop as well? Yeah, they are. They are. Um, we have three kids. Um, our oldest, Jorian, is uh, twenty two, and uh, she lives in Los Angeles right now. But she has been our store manager when she was living here in Helena and helped to run the store. Um, and then Kira, who is 19 and is going to college in San Francisco uh, in the college, uh, California College of the Arts, she, they have, they have uh, really um, provided a lot of the, the artwork uh, in some of our stickers and different things that, that uh, we've done in the shop. Uh, uh, Kira's non-binary and um, really has brought a different perspective from the LGBT, LGBTQ community as well. Um, and then our youngest, uh, Colton, is, uh, has been a part of the shop helping out around the, the store um, as well. Nice, nice. Well, Major, looking to the future, uh, what's next for you? What, do you what, what other projects do you have uh, in the works? Yeah, there's a, a few projects that uh, I have right now. One of them is right here in Helena, Montana. It's the Montana Heritage Center. And uh, the original museum, which the Montana Historical Society um, runs and operates, um, they have... Uh, been expanding their museum fundraising over the past gosh 15 years and they have raised about 80 million dollars in order to develop this new wing of the their museum it's called the homeland exhibit and so they hired me to work with the architects and the exhibit designers to bring in that tribal influence again so we have a whole team of uh, tribal historic preservation officers and tribal historians that we meet with regularly. In fact, we're getting together with them next week to talk about how do we as indigenous people tell our own story? How, how do we do it? You know, so this is going to be a, a new way of telling our stories, not having them interpreted by non-natives, but telling our own stories through artifacts and through um, oral history and things like that. 
so I get to work on this amazing project here. Um, and another one I did want to mention is uh, for my tribe, we're working on the Healing Trail, which is down at Fort Robinson. Um, I worked with our elders to build a monument there a few years ago. And, uh, and I don't know if you know the story, but it's a significant place for Northern Cheyenne history uh, where many of our, our ancestors gave up their lives for us to have our homelands in Montana. And so we're, be we're building a healing trail down there. And we just got a National Park Service grant to help us develop that, that trail. So I'm working with folks like Vincent White Crane and my brother, Jerry Robinson, who uh, wrote a, a book about Northern Cheyenne um, and uh, a number of other tribal members in order to build this uh, healing trail down in Nebraska. So those are some of the projects I'm working on right now. Yeah, they, they all sound really, really interesting. And Major, it sounds like you get home to, to Lame Deer and the Northern Cheyenne Reservation quite a bit. Yeah, I not enough. <laughs> not uh -huh. enough, but I do get back there. And, uh, and I usually have a project or two that I'm working on there as well. But it's always nice to, to come back and, and be back home again. And do you mentor any young Native people with, with similar career aspirations, either Northern Cheyenne tribal members or, or other Native people? I have. I have. And um, I certainly um, have met a, a number of them, especially as they head out to college and they're working on things. When I was living there, I certainly could work with them a lot closer and I'd speak at the schools and, and encourage them to really, uh, you know, just go for their dreams whatever they're interested in, you know, if they draw, if they sing, if, if they perform in some way, um, you know, if they're talented in engineering, um, I just try to encourage them to, to, uh, to take a chance. I mean, there's, there's opportunities and sometimes it just, it's just, you know, and, and, and uncle coming along to say, Hey, you can do this, you know, and here's some other people, <laughs> other native people who have done it too. Maybe you can talk to them. And just encourage them. Take a chance. Encourage them. Coming from a self-proclaimed designosaurus himself, Major Robinson. And Major, I want to thank you again for joining us. This has just been such an enlightening conversation. And your career, uh, a high-profile career in architectural design and some of these other successful pursuits. Uh, you're just such an inspiration to Native people everywhere. Folks, we're back tomorrow with another live show discussing a historic dam removal project planned for the Klamath River in California and what that means for tribes there. Thanks for listening today. I'm Sean Spruce. Support by the Facundo Valdez School of Social Work at Highlands University, now offering the opportunity to earn a culturally relevant clinical Master of Social Work degree without leaving your own community. This online MSW degree focuses on a small, supportive model with a clinical concentration. Students in rural areas, tribal communities, and or who live far from campus are given preference. Application deadline is October 15th at online.nmhu.edu. How Piki. Enroll in health care coverage through CMS today and keep your health care protected all year long. Contact your local Indian health care provider for more information. Visit healthcare.gov or call 1-800-318-2596. A message from the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services.
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanic Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.